the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Barton Simmons. Tom Fernelli out on assignment for today. Uh, we've got a great show for you. We have more players making more buzz. Reports from our boots on the ground. Barton Simmons is going to take us all over the country. Let you know the names that you need to know as we count down to the action. We're also going to dip back into that big old bag of mail. Some recent questions that have come in and uh, We've been gracious to those of you who've been able to, you know, put some thoughtful uh, questions together for the mailbag. Five star reviews, uh, friendly, friendly words, and then thoughtful questions. Those are going to be what really gets you advanced to the front of the line here for the mailbag. And uh, we look forward to answering those as well. But uh, gentlemen, I want to want to begin with the story that is unfolding Now, as we speak here on Thursday afternoon, as eight Nebraska football players on Thursday filed a lawsuit against the Big Ten trying to invalidate the league's postponement of the fall football season. Uh, The lawsuit states that the Big Ten did not follow its own governing documents, other rules, regulations, and guidelines. The hook of this has actually been public statements from university presidents. Uh, Minnesota's university president, Michigan State's university president, both said, uh, had quotes that indicated that there wasn't a, a formal vote. But that lack of a formal vote, did a vote take place, did it not take place, that's what's going to be decided potentially here in court. The Big Ten has offered an official um, an official statement. The Big Ten Conference Council of Presidents and Chancellors overwhelmingly voted to postpone the fall sports season based on medical concerns and in the best interest of the health and safety of our student-athletes. This was an important decision. Um, let's see. There will be... Uh, There will be no going back. This lawsuit has no merit. We will defend the decision to protect student-athletes at all costs. Okay, so, Barton, Danny, when we see this, do you treat it with more or less um, attention than the 30 parents that are outside the commissioner's office? Do you treat this with more or less attention than maybe – uh, valid criticisms or complaints from players. Again, eight Nebraska players, a lawsuit against the Big Ten. What'd you make of it on Thursday? Uh, well, I, I do think it's funny that probably the one of the driving forces of the Big Ten's decision, of Kevin Warren's decision, of the president's decision, whoever you want to pin it on, was liability 
fear of lawsuits. And so now like the players are going to come from the other end and throw some lawsuits at them. Now, granted, I don't think they're, they're quaking in their boots about like the legal ramifications here. I think they're only like asking for like 75 grand. It's really about really trying to play, I think as much as anything, or at least trying to get answers. Um, so it's it's kind of ironic, I guess, though I don't know that it's necessarily going to change anything uh, unless somehow this this turns into you know this sort of sparks a fire and, and maybe more people jump on board with it from other programs. Um, I, I, I right now in, in Nashville, um, Metro football is is looking like it's going to be canceled. Um, like you know, any, private schools can play. Surrounding counties can play, but Davidson County or Nashville is. It looks like the the public schools might not be able to play. And I just and like I and coaches are upset, players are upset, parents are upset, and it's a, it's to me it's a very similar situation. And like it 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 feels to me like it's administrators or um, decision makers saying we know what's better for what's best for you better than you know what's best for yourself Mm. and so i think that that's what's like it it strikes me as just a just a really frustrating situation for a player or parent that's just like just let me make the call let just let me make the call you know and 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 so i don't know that this necessarily is going to do anything but it might at least sort of scratch the itch of these parents or players and 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 make them feel like they're 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 doing something in, in in their own behalf I got to be honest with you. When I saw the pictures of the parents at the Big Ten office, I was a little bit like, ugh. Like, it just, it was underwhelming the lack of numbers that were there. And I commend them for taking the effort to go there. Right. Oh, by the way, there was nobody at the building because they're all working remotely. So it's like, what's really going to take place there? That, you know, no one has to answer them. It's a photo op that isn't that impressive. Lawsuits you have to respond to. Like you have to answer to. So I, I don't think it changes anything big picture. I wish it would for those players. I think it makes you feel like you're being proactive. I hate the fact that there probably are attorneys who are going to be you know, making money off of this. I think you might see other schools follow suit. But ultimately, I don't think it changes any outcomes, which is then then what's the point? But hey, this is what happens when you're sitting around watching games played and watching other teams go, that frustration's going to continue to grow. If in three weeks, five weeks, if you see the SEC shut down you know, for extended period of time or have to cancel the season, all these lawsuits are going to go away. I do think if those, those conferences pull a season off successfully – then you might see those lawsuits continue. But it's just, it's a complete mess that's out there right now. We've talked all about it. I don't think it changes anything. You know, Kevin Warren has made it clear we're not going back. I think that would even look worse. Like if he went back on his decision and opened it back up, even though I think it was the wrong decision. So I just think it's kind of like people spinning their wheels because they can, because they have time on their hands and they're not playing. They want to do something to feel like they're making a difference, but ultimately I don't think it's going to make a difference. The players will not have a resolution that is going to uh, be able to make up for the hurt, the pain and the loss that they have without playing right now. There is one piece of news item that could come from this. And it's that sweet little word called discovery. Because if this lawsuit starts to move forward, if we start to get transcripts of these calls, if we get information as part of this lawsuit, then there could be more 
details filled in because what's the one of the number one complaints about the big 10 it has been a lack of transparency and as soon as this lawsuit was filed i was thinking i was like okay the big 10 and we, we gotta assume they got the best firm that chicago money can buy right like we we gotta figure that they're just like they've got an army just like 10 of them that are going to be walking in trying to bring the hammer down but wasn't it the houston nut lawsuit against Ole Miss that brought down Hugh Freeze. Houston Nutt was mad at the way they were bad-mouthing his reputation because Hugh Freeze had been out here in public saying, oh, these NCAA violations, that wasn't me. No, that definitely wasn't me. It was the previous guy. It was it was all Houston Nutt. And Houston Nutt was like, don't sully my bad name. And it was a lawsuit. Like, it wasn't any – it was just yeah. a simple lawsuit. And then all of a sudden we got to Discovery. Then we got that cell phone. That school issued cell phone, we started tracking some numbers to some Tampa locations and like one thing led to another and a lot of things changed. So that to me, I was like, okay. And again, number one, the players probably are not going to get the resolution they want. And that stinks. That definitely stinks. But me, in terms of the news and the story and the way that we understand the Big Ten's decision, if this leads to us finding out what it really looked like with these conversations, I think it'll go a long way in terms of, you know, how we view the Big Ten's decision and the member schools within the conference. So Tom Mars has already filed uh, an extensive Freedom of Information Act um, request of of basically all the information and and interaction um, related to the decision to delay the season or, or cancel the fall season. Uh, based on, I feel like you got a little better grasp of, uh, the legal, uh, dealings than I do is, is a discovery in this sort of situation, perhaps more revealing even than a freedom of information request. The freedom of information act might not, uh, require the contents of a, what would be a closed door meeting because right. this all took place over zoom. But if minutes of the meeting were emailed out to the school email addresses, then the Freedom of Information Act could include that. But the actual transcripts and contents of the meeting themselves, that might be able to uh, to be avoided from being collected. Mm-hmm. When you go back, though, I don't know if there's going to be like, – and you tell me, Chip, you're right – is there is a vote required? Is that the smoking gun that there wasn't a vote? Because I would imagine if you heard the minutes, it would be a lot of evaluating liability of you know, listening to doctors. And the Big Ten has been pretty open about their doctors, which is kind of interesting because we have varying medical opinions on why some conferences are moving forward, why aren't. They would just say, here, this is what our doctors told us. This is what we learned about myocarditis. So I don't is do you think there's a chance that there's some glaring like oh, they screwed this up this bad. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be there unless there's a vote that was supposedly supposed to take place and it didn't actually happen. Then that could be problematic for Kevin Warren. I think what's, uh, I think the, what the meat of the lawsuit being the lack of a vote, all they have are these public comments from these university presidents. And I would bet that those university presidents, if, if held the task might rethink with their quotes than what they told the local publication about what went down. Like, was there a form? like, was there, or was there not a formal vote? I think that what the Michigan state president told the local reporter was probably trying to, uh, 
you know, try, trying to do is trying to do their best to tiptoe this tightrope of not upsetting the league office and, and also trying to save face just a little bit with a fan base that was certainly going to be upset, but going to well, good. Be, well, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, the, 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 the place I thought you were going when you're talking about, you know, the, the Houston nut and the Hugh freeze deal was it, the idea that like what, what we actually, what actually takes place, like the actionable, like the, the decisive sort of, um, actions that come out of this are going to be less related to COVID and less related to the season and might be more related to what, what amateurism oh, like, yeah. and, and, and like, and like creates like vulnerable situations for the NCAA based on what is said on these, in these conversations, when Mark Emmert's going in front of congressional committees to, to sort of defend the amateur model as a when when everyone's calling for players to be able to sort of profit off their own likeness. Big Ten president I, I, says in an email, "Hey, they're organized, and we got to shut this down." Right, like, that is right, very right. very problematic if yeah. that were to come out. Uh, no, the very very good point there. And yeah, I wasn't sure where it would go, but that is that has become my new um, thought whenever these lawsuits come up. Is you might think that they're nothing. But if we keep following this and if it lasts long enough, you might end up finding out something. A little bit of injury news before we get on into the camp buzz. A really disappointing setback for Georgia wide receiver Dominic Blaylock. Uh, He has suffered an ACL injury. This is another uh, knee injury for him. Sophomore from Marietta, and uh, he suffered one he suffered an injury uh, in the SEC championship game had surgery in December was going through preseason practice um, he hadn't been totally cleared to play but you know to have this kind of setback again is really really disappointing uh, Georgia at the wide receiver position we got George Pickens we still have Demetrius Robertson there are players there um, I guess like Barton for Blaylock who, by the way, is the son of Mookie Blaylock. So, you know, royalty right there, especially in the right. state of Georgia. Um, you know, disappointing setback for him. What what was sort of your read on uh, the injury and what it means for the dog's offense? Well, I don't know that I was necessarily assuming that Dominic Blaylock was going to be um, the, you know, t- the step forward kind of guy that, that maybe he, he expected he was going to be prior to his injury because – that that injury is going to take some getting over as is. I mean, he he had the the last ACL late in the season, so I, I'm assuming he's like just now starting to get fully healthy again. So that I mean, that just sucks for him. But I think in terms of just how it impacts the roster, I don't. It, it's it, there's still really good young receivers coming in. Uh, Jermaine Burton's a freshman that's that's making some plays. Arian Smith's a speedster. Uh, they've got the big tight end Darnell Washington. Like they, they've got it goes back to what I keep on saying. Like they've got plenty of talent. Like a lot of teams are going to, a lot of teams that are really productive in the past game would trade their receiving room for Georgia's receiving room uh, without, even without Dominic Blaylock. And so I, I, if George Pickens went down, this would have been a big, this is still a big blow, but if right. George Pickens went down, it would have been like devastating Dominic Blaylock. I think you had to only sort of half be counting him in this year. Anyways, uh, I think you still need to get step ups from uh, a few of the young guys. I think it hurts. Like it, obviously, it, you don't want to lose uh, one of your guys who was pretty productive last year. But I think what 
hurts the most because I agree with Barton. They're going to have a lot of guys that will be able to fill this spot. It's not a devastating blow. But where I do think it could impact this team is depth. And I think depth this year is going to be a premium with all the uncertainty of, hey, you get a positive test. You guys mm. should have to quarantine that might have to miss time. Like every single body is going to be counted on. I mean, and especially with – you know, the extra year of eligibility, you're going to see freshmen, you know, that probably would have been redshirt. They'll be all hands on deck. So from a depth perspective, I think that's going to be at a premium across the board at every school. And once you lose somebody on your depth chart, that means maybe you have to go sooner to one of your true freshmen who, yeah, they're talented, but they're still true freshmen and they have to take that next step. It's just going to put a little bit more added pressure on there. So I think from a depth standpoint, which is going to be, really crucial this season, I think it's a blow to Georgia. But like for me, like does it change the outlook on the season? Does it is it anything that dramatic? No. Like it, it sucks and it sucks for the player. I hate um, you know, players who have just gone through an entire offseason of rehab trying to get to this place. I mean, you talk about a devastating blow emotionally. It's brutal. I've seen there, been with guys in the locker room. It is brutal on those guys to go through that. Do you ever feel like you're always on? Like, we have got to go from, you know, a podcast to a CBS Sports HQ to a radio hit. You're talking to a coach, then you're back on the podcast. I mean, what do you do when you need a moment to chill? And how much do you love it when you get to hit the reset button just to get ready for what's next? Well, there's only one beer that's out there that is literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for any moment to unwind. We've got a front porch, and it is the spot where my wife and I reconnect. It's really stressful around the house right now. And Coors Light, well, that's just the perfect beverage on a hot summer day for that kind of moment. Also, don't miss the new packaging from Coors Light. It's already hitting the shelves. The new design features clear skies that invite you to sit back, unwind, and drink it all in. And the iconic Coors Light Mountains, yep, they still turn blue when your beer is as cold as the Rockies. It is a brand new look, but the same ice-cold refreshment. Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. And get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door at CoorsLight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah, you're kind of ambushing us with the live read there. Coors Light. He was Light. talking about needing to Bring breath. It. I was like, are, are we getting a break here? Are we going to take a breather? Are we stopping down? I like that. You smooth. You, you, ready to, uh, you ready to buzz it up, Barton? Let's, let's buzz it. Players that are making a buzz. All right, so we just talked Georgia, uh, the wide receiver position. Let's stay in the SEC East. You guys got to remind me if I've talked about these before because I've been doing Camp Buzz. I've been doing position battle stories. I've been doing 247sports.com. Uh, you and Charles Power have a story up right now that's very buzzy. A lot of buzz in there. Very buzzy. It's a, it's a camp buzz story basically. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, I've, I've sort of lost track of what I've discussed in the pod, what I haven't, but let's go SEC East. I, I like, and both these things were discussed in the, uh, in the story with Charles power on, on the front page of 24 seven right now, which is basically the dis- distribution of speed in the SEC East at the wide receiver position, because South Carolina doesn't have much of it. 
and their their top quarterback prospect, Luke Doty, comes in. It looks like Colin Hill's got a shot at winning that job, the transfer from Colorado State. Um, Helinski's still hanging in there, but they're, maybe the most talented in the room is Luke Doty, who's like a 4 5 40 type of type of athlete and they're actually playing him at, at wide receiver have i did i talk about this last no week? no all right so no. this this was interesting to me like he, he's a really good quarterback like a talented quarterback prospect maybe the future position he's playing some wide receiver and i think that that is pretty uh represent like um it, it, it is representative of like the necessity of them to find some some dynamic playmakers at receiver they've got some size they've got some big bodies uh, they don't have that electric ability. And so I think they're trying to mine that out of Luke Doty a little bit uh, before he plays quarterback. Um, elsewhere, and, and again, I think, so like Tennessee, and, and this is sort of an interesting like behind the scenes. So Tennessee, South Carolina uh, hired away Tennessee's director of player personnel, Drew Hughes. When Drew Hughes came to Tennessee, remember that Tennessee wide receiver room? It was Juwan Jennings, good player, but not, a, not dynamic or fast. Marquez Callaway, yeah. big receiver, but not necessarily like a space, like a speedster athlete. There was a lot of those type of bodies. And then you look at what they did in recruiting, and, and particularly this true freshman class right now, which was a bunch of guys that run sub-11 second hundred meters. Jalen Hyatt's a true freshman in South Carolina who looks like he may be running with the ones at Tennessee. He's like a 10-4 meter guy. Like They were very effective at turning what's sort of a bigger plotting receiver room to what's going to be, I think, start to transition pretty quickly into a big or into a very athletic, fast wide receiver room. Um, that's happening at Tennessee. So I think that's interesting. And then, and like the new, the challenge there at, at South Carolina is to do the same thing with that room. So um, I just think it's interesting to watch those two SEC East rivals sort of jostle around and try to try to position their roster the way they want it. Luke Doty, four star pro style quarterback. From this past uh, <laughs> class, that, to to be fair, like I, I I'm kind of over pro style dual threat. Like if you're, oh, you're either quarterback nice, or good. not, yeah, fight that absolutely. Yeah. Well, good good luck to the pride of Myrtle Beach. Uh, I hope that uh, Myrtle Beach High's finest Luke Doty's able to get on the field somehow. I'm trying to decipher. Well, first of all, the thing that I said to you was interesting when you said Colin Hill looks like he might win the job from Holinsky. That's like one thing that said, oh, because we talked about that in the last pod. Like, I wonder what that dynamic is like with his head coach now at Colorado State, now the offensive coordinator. Like, I would be nervous if I was uh, Holinsky saying, oh, man, am I going to be behind the eight ball here? And if that does happen, I wonder, like, what's going through his mindset now as somebody who's young, you know, it's, it's the era of transferring. What is going through his mind? How does that play out? The other thing that comes to mind is, all right, Luke Do- Doty might be an incredible receiver, but is this is this a sign that he could be a solution or is it a sign of a lack of options at receiver? You know what I mean? Like, so... Yeah. Because he could be incredible, and he might go out there, and he might just transition, and all of a sudden he's he's lighting it up in the SEC. Or he goes, it's an awkward transition. He might do some things, but it's more of a lack of depth and options at receiver. So that's like the first thing that I'm like, okay. Well, and I don't know the answer to that yet, and I think it depends on how it plays out. So like that would be like, okay, that's reacting to South Carolina buzz. The Tennessee buzz I think is interesting because – this team is so intriguing to me, and I feel like it's it, we all you know. And I think most people, you're going to hear the trendy picks are going to be Florida or Georgia. Who's going to be the team to win the East? And you know, a couple years ago, we saw Kentucky make that push. They had ten wins. They get to an uh, an unbelievable season. 
Tennessee, like if you had to put me to like say, hey, who are you going to pick outside of Florida, Georgia? I think, and I think majority of people would say, well, Tennessee, they're that team. Can they take that next step um, to challenge those two powerhouses? They had so much momentum at the end of last season. They're coming in with a lot of confidence. Um, and if they start getting some of these recruits, which Jeremy Pruitt's been crushing it, and you get a freshman like a Jalen Hyatt who comes out there and all of a sudden is a meaningful contributor with a quarterback who feels like he's been there six or seven years in Guaratano and he can take the next step and then he has weapons. Like I look at Tennessee and they might be one of the more intriguing teams in the SEC that could, I, I don't know if I'd be, I'm not, definitely not bold enough to pick them to win the East, but I think they could get some of the upsets that they didn't get last year. Like they could have some signature wins or a signature win that messes somebody's season up and their opportunity. Maybe it's Florida. Maybe it's Georgia. Well, hell, that, Fernelli's got them beating Alabama. Well, if you know, if you remember <laughs> right, old Fernelli. Right. You know. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, I'm not going that far. But but uh, the, the thing that's interesting to me too, so like with Tennessee, when you look at what's what they're building at this point, like they've got, yes, I think they really want Cade Mays to get eligible and they're going to continue to appeal that waiver. But their offensive line at this point has gone from a like a bad weakness to a strength. Their running back room with Eric Gray is and and um, uh, Ty Chandler is is actually a strength, I think, heading into the second year of Eric Gray's career. And and now, if Jalen Hyatt can give it some juice to the receiver room, if that room can be improved, Josh Palmer returns, he's a good player. If that can be a good quality room, then all of a sudden, like like you said, Danny, like it circles back around. It's like, okay, now, now what are we missing? It's all right, so can we get play out of the quarterback that is that we can trust? Um, then then like you the the, the the picture starts to really shift and and come into a uh, little, little bit clearer uh, on the Tennessee front in, in terms of what that offense can be. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Talking about players that are buzzing. All right. Baylor was one of the, was the toast Ooh. of the town last year, right? Uh, they kind of you know won some close games. They got some good players returning, but it's Dave Aranda's first year and yada, yada, yada. Um, the, the big, like one of the key reasons why I, when we talked, when we talked, um, win totals, I, w- I went under with Baylor. Then part of it was like, Oh, like I see all these players, but you know, there's still a lot to ask for them to replicate last year. But I think the big X factor is they did a good job in the transfer portal. How good of a job did they do? And I am hearing that the, uh, the linebacker, uh, is a Dylan Boyle. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the son of the Iowa, the Iowa uh, Doyle. assistant coach Doyle Doyle. Yeah. Dylan yeah, Doyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dylan Doyle. Sorry. Um, Chris Doyle is his dad. Chris Doyle is the heck the uh, strength coach at Iowa who was recently unceremoniously kind of departed, parted ways. Uh, Dylan Doyle is apparently like a stud. Like he's, he's flashing in a big way. Um, future NFL guy, um, big, physical and and really athletic and that's the big thing with i've sort of learned is like he's he's maybe a lot more athletic than i gave him credit for and coming over uh so that kid could is, is gonna i think be a major impact player on that defense and then william bradley king who's a transfer from arkansas state is also like crushing it right now as a as an edge guy for them they've got 
they don't they're not necessarily deep up front, but they have three really good starting defensive linemen that matched what Dre Averand is looking for. So the defense and now they just got Jake Burton, who's a, who's the mm-hmm. the grad transfer from UCLA, who's who kind of fills the only hole they had on off, offense. So the big buzz is Dylan Doyle, who's who's just been awesome. But I think across the board, if Jake Burton gets in and and can can get acclimated quickly, you suddenly look at this team and like at least up at least like one through twenty two, there's not really a. There's not really anything bad there. There's not really anything just like like concerning there. They got a good quarterback. They have two good running backs. They have big athletic guys on the outside at receiver. They have an offensive line that the last piece was filled in with Jake Burton, and then their defense has got like again any anywhere they were, they were missing someone, they they backfill with a stud transfer. So I don't know, man. Baylor Baylor's gonna be a team to watch. I think Baylor's a little scary right now. I, no one's talking about them. Like everyone's kind of like anticipating a down year. Um, lost a ton on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you mentioned Jake Burton. I think he's got a really good chance to start and be a difference maker along the offensive line. I think Dave Aranda is a heck of a coach. When you talk about the defensive you know, losses there, I think he'll help mask those um, just with his um, you know, presence and his um, coaching style and being able to get those guys ready to play every week. They've got a quarterback returning. Uh, uh, they do have some talent on the offensive side of the ball coming back, but like they were 11, an 11 win team last year. And the way they're talked about, it's just like, Oh, they're, they're just cast aside as one of these bottom tier big 12 teams. I tend to agree with you, Bart. And I'm like, well, maybe this is a team that's kind of just flying under the radar that is used to winning that had some success last year that, you know, really had an impressive season and we're just forgetting about them. I think they're not getting much love whatsoever, and they deserve it. So you're telling me the strength coach's son is big and athletic and tries real hard? <laughs> like, like, uh, I just, I mean, you know, this, it's, you get, I, can, I can dance with this a little bit, but I, I, I look forward, I look forward to seeing how that one is, uh, is packaged into the commentary during the games when he's. Like when ways he can rack up like probably like thirteen tackles in a game or something, just being a big, uh, big, high energy effort guy. A comparison was tossed out to me. Um, What was it? Evan Weaver was that the guy? Yeah, I count. Just the big, yeah, wore like ninety two, ninety eight or whatever his number was, playing middle linebacker. That that comparison was tossed out. Only a more athletic version. Yeah, and again, Mm -hmm. Weaver was like a what sixteen tackle guy. Yeah, like eighteen a game. Yeah, 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 like twenty (laughs) five tackles. Um, and then the I'm looking at. Can I ask you guys something real quick? I don't know. I I missed the win totals for the Big Twelve, but I'm looking at one preseason publication that has Baylor picked to finish behind. Texas Tech and Matt Wells, you know, year two, they were four and eight last year behind West Virginia, uh, who was five and seven last year. And that's the kind of like, I think it's, they're just, they're not getting much respect. I don't, do you, what was the, do you remember the win total that the uh, Edgewater Emporium had for them? It was, uh, it was like four and a half maybe or something. Right. Which a, I think is probably more respect than they're getting in some of these other uh, publications. Because that, but I think like, we all went under five, it. Five and a half. Oh, really? Yeah. Was five and oh, a half. Well, that's probably why. Because I was okay. going to say, if it was four and a half, I like five hundred. They should be able to obtain five and a half. Is a much tougher number. Damn it, Fornelli and Edgewater. I think. <laughs> I think him. that Baylor, if Baylor's going to be properly rated, they aren't going to jump ahead of Iowa State, but they're going to be in that group. Like the, whether it's mm-hmm. like an Iowa State, a Kansas State, a Baylor, 
Like I, I definitely think that you're operating a tier above. Um, wait, partner, are you the West Virginia believer? The Neil Neil Brown just so like the, here's the tough thing about the Big Twelve. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I, I am a West Virginia believer, but yeah. like. I also tend to be a believer in Kansas State. I mean, I will I will wear the badge of picking Kansas State over Oklahoma for the rest of my life. For and sure. I'll milk that. And I, you know, I, I think I might have picked Kansas State to go over the winter last year. And I get hammered on like our Kansas State message boards for being a hater right now because I picked them second to last in the Big Twelve, and and like the Big Twelve is just it's it's one of those conferences that. Other than Kansas, and I actually, uh, you know how I feel about Kansas. Like, I think Kansas is going to be better than people are giving them credit for. But other than Kansas, there's not really like a, a ninth place team that looks good in that ninth hole. Like, right. they're all very competent teams. You could see nine through four shake up pretty, like, pretty randomly and land to, and, and kind of be okay with it in a lot of cases. With so, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas as your one through three. And then basically your argument is four through nine. Can get. Yeah, but even that, even that one through three is more about like I don't see any of those teams finishing like eighth. But 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 yes, four through nine, I think any of those teams could finish ninth, and any of those teams could finish fourth. Um, in fact, there's probably a few of them that could finish in the top three. But uh, it's it's a very I, I think it's a tricky conference to figure out right now. All right, one last camp buzz, except this one's coming from Danny Canal. Players that are making a buzz, camp camp buzz, camp camp buzz, camp camp buzz. All right. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. I don't want to step on Martin's toes at all. (laughs) No, no. uh, This is actually going to be a game week buzz because this morning I talked to Nathan Brown, head coach at Central Arkansas. Are you guys aware the game this Saturday is two top 15 FCS preseason teams in in Central Arkansas and Austin Peay? Like, it's a good matchup. I was not aware of this. He was he was pumping up. So he told me they it was really fascinating listening to some of the protocols that are taking place. Uh, he said they've had eleven hundred covid tests. Um, they had six positives, five of which came from the first test back. So really only one positive test out of eleven hundred tests they had doled out. Uh, he was talking about their uh, corner, Robert Rochelle, had 10 oh, yeah. uh, interceptions on the year. He 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 said NFL scouts have been calling about him. He's like, there's not a day that goes by that somebody doesn't pick up the phone. Um, they got their quarterback coming back, Braylon Smith. He was pretty optimistic about it. So it's just kind of a, a getting ready for game week buzz to try to generate a little excitement about the game this Saturday night on the national stage too, which is a great platform for both these guys, these FCS level schools where they normally wouldn't be getting this many eyeballs. I think there's a they could do a pretty big number. I think a lot of people will be tuning in, especially if the game is as competitive as it looks like it should be on paper. So uh, Central Arkansas minus four and a half. Anybody want to throw a pick out? Uh, I got a little more. I got a little more research I got to do before I'm ready to make a pick. Okay. Uh, but I love that camp buzz. Uh, a couple <laughs> other players. Taylor Tyler Hudson uh, was the Southland Conference Freshman of the Year last year. 975 yards receiving at UCA. So he's one to watch. Their defensive end, Nathan Grant. Ten and a half tackles for loss, a couple sacks. J.W. Jones, ten and a half tackles lost, five and a half sacks. I've been doing a little research on this game too. I'm 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 gearing up for it. I got some players to watch for uh, for Austin P too, but uh, Nathan Rochelle is definitely or Robert Rochelle, I guess, is the guy that yeah. is uh, 
He's the stud for sure. So I he mean, also said Austin P's receiver, D'Angelo Wilson, is another. He's like, there's gonna be some NFL talent on the field. Yeah. So keep an eye on him too for Austin P. Uh, so yeah, did you guys realize he's only 34 years old, Nathan Brown? And he played quarterback at Central Arkansas. I think it's a cool story. So it'll be something to watch out for. It'll be a fun game. And Austin P was where uh, Will Healy got things turned around, right? That's right. That was the uh, that was the worst worst program in uh, in college football about five years ago, and then Will Healy got him heading in the right direction. Now look at him playing in the spotlight, nationally televised first game of the season. Coming up on the other side, your questions and our answers next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So uh, this one is actually uh, an interesting question because it goes in line with a little bit of news. The college football playoff had an official press release this week and it said, Hey, so, I mean, I know big 10 and PAC 12 aren't playing, but we're still going to do rankings announcements on Tuesday nights. And we're still going to line them up one through 25. And we are still going to be holding semifinals on January 1st in new Orleans and in Pasadena. And we're still playing a national championship game, January 11th in Miami. Now we, we got to get there. You know, we got to get to November to even have one rankings release. But this question came in from E bone Capone. I've loved the pod for years. Always respect Barton Chip and Tom's take on everything college football with the Pac-12 and Big Ten not playing this fall and only conference games for the conferences who choose to go forward with the season. How do you see the committee selecting teams to the playoffs? Without a non-con game, it may be difficult to judge how good a team is. Do you see a potential playoff expansion with how different this season will be? Danny? I wish, I wish we'd see an expansion. I'll take, Hey, just give me the four game ones this year. Just get us there (laughs) and get us a playoff. Um, What's going to be interesting is some of the criteria that they typically use will not be available. When you look at common opponents, like cross, you know, rivalry games, when they look at strength of schedule, it's It's already been apples to oranges. Now it's going to get even a little bit more complicated because you won't have opportunities to see an Ohio State play Oregon or and, and even the teams that are playing uh, Alabama play USC or pick your matchup that would have been a non-conference game where you could have said, all right, this team that's at the upper tier of this conference is playing that team, the upper tier of that conference. So it's going to be harder to compare there. I do think that it's almost probably a virtual certainty that you'll see two SEC teams there um, because they are and this. It probably should be that way. And I want to see the way that the, the season plays out. Um, but I think they'll probably just kind of, you know, if they do the show on ESPN and you'll hear the spokesperson out there, they're probably going to tell you a lot of the same things. Like we're looking at the data and this team has this, um, these numbers to back our, our, our belief that they're number one and this one has two. And it's, 
I, I don't like all that jargon that comes out because basically it's who do you think are the top four teams. And then it's up for debate, but that's the way they love it. So I think it'll probably play out the same. Just some of the criteria won't be applicable this season. Yeah, I, it, it's um, I'm I, I was I was actually really interested that the the playoff committee released like oh they, we're, these are the dates we're gonna have all our, is well thought, hey no big yeah. deal we yeah, got this like just like, <laughs> just another day at the office oh hey by the way playoffs this year this one, one, I, I I figured they would kick the can down the road for a little bit and figure out what they were gonna do with it but that's if if we keep on rolling towards a season like that just means that there'll be a there'll be a national champion in the fall and there won't be one in the spring yeah and and how about this like I was thinking about this the other day too. Um, Ohio State, right? So they have. There was a mailback question not too long ago, I think, with us that was something about like, is Ohio State an uh, underachieving program given all the talent that they have? Right. And uh, and we sort of talked about it, and I don't remember what we landed on, but it was the question was like, they're so talented, maybe they should have won more national titles. But you think about like the first year Myers there, they were undefeated, and then they did win the 2014 one. And then they would have been my pick to win the national championship this year. And you could make a case that what could have been, obviously we don't know if they would have a national championship, but they would have had a very legitimate shot this year. You could make a case that Ohio State's potential three national championships got chopped down to one based on the probation that first year and this year with the COVID stuff because, I mean, Springs is going to be an exhibition. If they get through this thing, if there's ten games and they get or eleven games and they get a and they get a playoff out of this, um, I mean that's gonna be that is gonna be a bitter pill to swallow for Big Ten Pac twelves. I feel like we didn't mention it at that time, but also if we're gonna play the what ifs, there was that one national championship that did come from a late flag in the back sure, of the end zone. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You know, there's we're talking about razor thin margins that uh that always happen with that. But I I think that number one, some of those non-con games, the implication of them do end up getting overblown. Like Auburn beating Oregon did not indicate to me that the SEC, I mean, like that that doesn't sway my my conference feels necessarily. Sometimes those games I think are exciting, especially at the beginning of the season, but they don't always represent the state of the conference or the state of the teams at the end of the year. Like I kind of feel like when we're judging these teams in November, we're mostly judging them on what they're doing in conference play anyway. So yeah, it's gonna yeah. it's not gonna be that different. It's just not gonna have any Big Ten impact twelve teams. I agree with that. Like everyone's gonna have their opinion on how good Alabama is. And it's not going to matter what the score was against uh, USC. And in, in, yeah, like like you like everyone's going to have to depend on how good Alabama is, and how you play against Alabama will determine to that person how good your team is. You know, regardless of what you did in the non-con versus like Washington, like you, you better be like you got to beat Alabama or you got to beat LSU or whoever the team is that is like the perceived top teams. Like there, like that perception is going to change based on you know some score differential in the non-con. All right. Next question comes from John. I have heard plans for day of game traveling for visiting teams during the COVID season without hostile crowds factoring in. Do you think that same day travel would help preserve home field advantage in college football? It seems like the home team would still have a significant advantage, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Just make like, 
home field advantage is no longer about crowd noise. It's about just like, do you have sleep in your eyes when you're rolling into kickoff from a long bus ride? <laughs> I, I think home field advantage still will be a factor for the disruption of routine and travel, whether it's night of or the weekend of, right? Well, so I have, a, I have an opinion on this. Um, because I, I fashion, like I am of anyone on this podcast, Danny, when we start talking about um, hostile environments in 100,000 seat stadiums, you are the expert. But when we're talking about playing in big stadiums that have 5,000 people in them, 20% I capacity, am the, <laughs> I am the expert in playing in empty stadiums because I spent my whole college <laughs> career playing in empty stadiums and taking bus trips. And we uh, day of the game travel from New Haven, Connecticut to Fordham in the Bronx, New York. Uh, as a true freshman, I remember my teammate who would go on to get drafted to play in the NFL, missed the bus and paid out of pocket for a taxi cab from <laughs> New Haven, Connecticut to Fordham and ran onto the field in like the first quarter. So th- there is I think that there's but like because there is I th- there's not going to be hotels at home games, you're going to be dealing, you're going to be living in like, you're going to be staying in your dorm at home games. So the idea that traveling and staying in a hotel night before, like, I don't, I don't, and, and then going to an empty stadium, like I don't see the home field advantage there. I know Fernelli's talked about like, there will still be some sort of home field advantage, but I don't understand why it would be. I was just, I, I actually texted with my former teammates. I was like, did we have like, did, was there home field advantages? Like, did we care if we were playing a road game? And everyone's like, oh, I don't know. Like home games, we got to get a nap in before going to Toad Saturday night after the game. <laughs> like that, that was an advantage. Like that's the extent of it. And so I'm not a, I don't necessarily buy home field advantage unless, yeah, I guess if you're playing a two o'clock kick and you're making guys wake up at 6 a.m. for a bus drive, that's not great. But I don't know where the home field advantage is going to come from this year. I, 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 you forget, Barton, that I was in the, at Florida State the first year in the ACC when we had to travel to College Park, to Durham, to Winston-Salem. Those weren't exactly ruckus <laughs> crowds either. So we had, some, we had some sleepier <laughs> crowds as well. Um, I would say the players, like I, I actually did this once in the NFL in preseason uh, when I was with the Falcons. We did a day of flight down to Jacksonville. It was a quick flight. Now, they did get us a hotel room where you could nap for a couple hours, which didn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> like, why didn't you just let us go the whole game? It made no sense whatsoever. Guys hated it. They bitched and moaned about it. But these college players aren't that far removed from high school where it is the norm. And you do have hour or two hour or three hour bus rides to go, you know, play your opponent. So I don't think it's that much of a big deal. I think it'll be a little bit of an issue. It'll be a little bit of an adjustment. Um, if it's a critical matchup and you're going to face an opponent where there's, you know, I think it's probably worth a point or two in the point spread, but not not a massive, massive home field advantage. Like I think they'll take some, you know, it'll be a little bit of a hassle, which that will have an impact, but I don't think it's going to be a glaring impact. Good stuff. Remember, if you want to get in on a future mailbag, you can do so by going to the Cover 3 podcast and Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Friendly words are appreciated. And then put your question in there as well. And then uh, we will get it to it on a future episode. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Yes, sir.
It's the NFL offseason, but I'll pick six. Part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. 